Welcome to the Daily Dive Weekend Edition. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and every week, my producer Miranda and I explore the top stories making waves in the news, and some that are just plain interesting. We connect you with the journalists and people who know the story, and bring you news without the noise, so you can make an informed decision. You can catch a new episode of The Daily Dive every Monday through Friday, and it's ready when you wake up. On the weekend edition, we will be bringing you some of the best stories from the week. It's the weekend right before Christmas, so we're going to give you some of our favorite Christmas stories that we covered this past week. Uh, I've always been fascinated with Santas and the men who play Santa Claus, you know, whether it be at your mall or your company party. There's so much that goes into it. I mean, they got to have a big personality. They got to be likable. Uh, You always conjure up pictures of little kids sitting on Santa's lap and they're crying because who knows why they're creepy. They might smell weird. Maybe they've been tipping a few back. You don't know. But there's so much that goes into being a Santa and it costs a lot of money to get started. We spoke to Megan Lenhart. She's a senior money reporter for CNBC Make It. And we talked about how much it costs to be a Santa Claus. There's so much that goes into it. The suit. You have to uh, go to Santa school. Beard bleaching is important. All that personal grooming. But being a top tier Santa can really bring in the money. So we start off by talking about just that. How much top tier Santa's put into everything. And it all starts with that big red suit. This was actually a fascinating piece for me. It started off with talking to Rick Rosenthal, who is an Atlanta-based Santa and 66 years old, runs a couple of different businesses related to Christmas, which is very fun. And he's walked me through as an industry veteran what it actually takes to become Santa Claus. I think that a lot of people just assume it's a suit and maybe some shoe wrapper type of things. But in actuality, it can be very, very expensive. The suits themselves which of course is the crucial centerpiece, can be up to about $1,200. And, you know, those are great and they certainly have to be custom made. And, you know, little boys and girls can be a little messy. So you may need more than one. In fact, he said he actually has a couple of different pants for every jacket because apparently (laughs) the bottom of the suit gets a little more dirty. (laughs) And of course you start there. Obviously that's the iconic thing to become Santa is the suit. And other people have said, bring several pairs of white gloves, even just for one gig because it's white. It's going to, it could get dirty right away. And you notice the qualities you were talking about, the cost of it, you notice the quality of a costume and, you know, more elaborate and the thick white fur and things like that. And you can see it from right away from afar. That's a good Santa. Exactly. I talked to Stephen Arnold, and again, another industry veteran, and he sort of said, you know, yes, you absolutely can get a suit that doesn't cost as much, and, and you really can cut cost if it's your first year, but you're really rewarded if you do invest and really get those beautiful pieces. A lot of Santas say it doesn't come down so much to the suit as much as customization. So, you know, those thick leather belts and those beautiful buckles sometimes you see, well, those are going to cost you between 250 and $400. And even the customized buttons, some Santas really go all out. Those can be $75 a piece. There's obviously quite a few buttons on that coat. <laughs> <laughs> Another thing that they have to be aware of is the personal grooming. For the story we did yesterday, and then also in your story, you talked to somebody from uh, the International Brotherhood of Real Bearded Santas. I just love that name. <laughs> the personal grooming, you know, a lot of these guys will do uh, beard bleaching. And that costs, you know, a couple hundred bucks per season or however often you have to do it. You have to maintain that look. You do. I think 
beards, I've been told, have come a long way. I, you know, definitely no longer those terrible, you know, cotton ball things with elastic bands coming off the ears. So this really is an entire routine that a Santa has to put themselves in for the season. And not to mention just some of the legal protections they need. I mean, you know, we're yeah. a pretty litigious society. So Rosenthal, who I spoke with, carries a $4 million insurance policy. And he also does independent third-party background checks every year just to make sure that he's on top of everything. What does the insurance policy cover? Yeah, several organizations have started offering this as part of the package. So, in fact, the International Brotherhood of Real Bearded Santas, that's actually, you know, one of the membership perks. And this is like many personal liability insurance policies in that if something happens, you do have a little bit of coverage. And I mean, think about it. You're lifting up kids all day or, you know, whatever the case may be. God forbid you drop one. <laughs> and, and they end up going to the doctor or something like that. Right. You, you have a little bit of protection that's not coming out of your paycheck. Then there's this whole thing of going to Santa school. One of them that's been called the uh, Harvard of Santa schools is about 520, maybe a little bit more just to go through that whole process. So there's a lot of costs that go into it. But with all that comes the money-making possibilities. Top tier Santa starts making pretty good money. There are about five to 6,000 professional Santas in the U.S. Those are folks that are actually doing regular gigs, making money. Of course, if you start to include all the volunteer and charity folks, that, that number quadruples. But but when you're looking at these folks, they really can make some decent money. If you have some experience, you know, obviously if you're green, this is your first year, don't expect this. But you're going to make between five and $8,000 once you've gotten a few years under your belt. You have a really nice outfit, accessories, everything like that. And then once you really are well entrenched in the industry, you know, you may be representing professional sports teams or, you know, in addition to the mall gig, then you might be looking at fifteen dollars to $20,000 for the season. And wow. you have to imagine that this is six to eight weeks. So definitely can be good money. The most lucrative ones are the shopping mall and photography gigs because there's consistency. A lot of times you might be the only guy working 60, 70 hours a week. Payscale actually found that these folks make about $41 an hour. I don't know about you, but that's definitely more than I make. So (laughs) (laughs) I'm still a little young, but maybe as my beer starts turning gray, maybe I should start picking it up. Hey, not a bad uh, idea for a side gig, right? (laughs) There you go. Megan Lenhart, Senior Money Reporter for CNBC Make It. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me and happy holidays. Happy holidays. So we talked about the top tier Santas bringing in a lot of money. But what about the sad Santas? Uh, For a lot of time, we've talked about how malls across the country are continuing to lose storefronts. They're slowing down. The retail industry is changing. People aren't going to malls that often. It's not happening all across the country, but in large pockets, it really is. So what happens to that mall Santa? What happens to his crowd when there is no crowd, when there is no line of kids waiting to sit on his lap? What is he doing? We spoke to Jennifer Levitz. She's a reporter for The Wall Street Journal about what they do when it gets really slow. And a lot of times they bring out their favorite book. Sometimes they wave to other employees. They'll put the Santa in a very prominent place. Traditionally, you'll put the Santa in the middle of the mall in center court, and they'll have a display, and he's sitting there on a throne. With long lines. I I can remember when I was a kid. Yeah, everything, the whole deal. It's just a 
real hub of activity. And but what um, what we saw kind of going into some of these malls is the Santa would just be sitting there with no one around, or maybe just a few people kind of coming up. And it was it was kind of a, a strange scene because there's Santa and he's trying to look jolly <laughs> and he's just sitting there. So I started wondering, you know, what is Santa doing all day? And I went up and talked with some of these Santas, and they're they're like, you know, yeah, I mean, there's not a lot of people here, but the pressure's on. You never want to be caught looking gloomy, so they're trying to think of ways to kill the time. And and uh, it's but it's an odd image to see a bored Santa or not, you know, a, a slow Santa. Right. Yeah, and, and we got to be clear, this isn't happening everywhere. It's not all malls. Um, no, you know, there's a lot of uh, new big shopping centers where you do still see the long lines, but there are a sect of malls across the country that aren't really just aren't getting the same amount of traffic that they used to. You actually spoke to, I love the name, the International Brotherhood of Real Bearded Santas. And uh, what was their take on this stuff, on, on slowing mall Santas? So we know that mall vacancies rose to the highest level in seven years in the third quarter. And so at some of these kinds of malls, that's where you're seeing these these slow Santas. And so when I talked with the Santa trade group, which I note now goes by IBRBS because they, <laughs> they want to be inclusive of Mrs. Claus. Right, right. They said that what's happening is, um, you, you know, you have some of these really hot, busy Santa jobs that are pretty coveted, but then a lot of these other Santas are starting to go to other types of Santa gigs. They're going to uh, parties and corporate events and, and then standalone stores and outlets or like the big Bass Pro Shop, they'll have a Santa. But he said of these ones in these slower malls, he said they're basically decorations. Yeah, I mean, you got to go where the work is, so it's smart to look for other avenues. A smart play by a parent would, I mean, if you know one of these type of malls, is to go there so you don't have to wait in the lines. But as much as you do hate the lines and everything, part of it is having people there and the hustle and bustle of the shopping and people moving around. I think that's part of it, you know, so you lose a yeah. little bit of that magic. Yes, exactly. I, I met several parents who did just that. They said, well, I didn't go to this mall because I knew it would be busy. I came to this mall and they were in, I went to one mall on a, on a Sunday and it was, it was very, very slow. They've lost like four big anchor stores. And a, a, a father said, oh, I just came right in here because, you know, the kids get irritable in the long line. And so they whipped right in. But, it, but on the other hand, just as you said, it's, it, there's something, I mean, we've all been in a mall where there's not many people. It, it's, um, it doesn't have that same Christmassy feel, you know, something about the wow. Bustle, bustle. Yeah. And um, I got to say, these Santas that are there, a lot of them are, I mean, they're giving it their best. They're waving and <laughs> they're trying to bring people in and, you know, they're, they're really uh, trying to stay in character. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. Uh, in the story you mentioned, you spoke to the Santa Claus Conservatory, another group, and they say that they do a lot of training on the resting smile face. We all know what the other one is, but the resting smile face, because you always have to look like you're, you know, ready for uh, the children to come up to you and, and you want to have a good experience. So they have to really work on looking the appearance of being upbeat. Yes. So the whole Santa job, there's a, a new set of skills that they need um, when it's slow because you never want to look, uh, as they describe it, un-Santa-like or not happy. And you never know who's going to have a cell phone, too. You don't want to get caught yawning and staring at your phone and, and looking bored. So they, they teach them this sort of resting smile face. And uh, they, they spend a lot of time just looking up and, and waving. And when they don't have people, shoppers to wave to, some of them will just wave to other employees that are walking along or at the customer service stand. And then they said that uh, the kids at the slow malls will just sit there for a very long time. If you're at a yes. busy place, 
they'll, they're, they're maybe a minute. You'll have a, a child on, on, up there on your lap, and you're talking to them. Well, these kids might stay five, you know, ten minutes or, or more. And so, you've, you know, Santa's only got so much material, and he's <laughs> got to now come up with new things to talk to him about. Yeah, it's an interesting turn in this job and the season, and we know it comes every year. So, like I said, it's just uh, it's just crazy to think that, there are Santas there with no little kids lining up for them. Jennifer Levitz, reporter for the Wall Street Journal. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you so much. Finally, for our Christmas stories, I wanted to talk about Elf on the Shelf. It's been a booming Christmas tradition for many people. Millions of these little Elf on a Shelf books and accompanying dolls have sold across the country, across the world. Uh, you know, people saw it as a fun tradition to get started. And, you know, it goes in hand in hand with believing in Santa and whatnot. But a lot of parents are really struggling to keep up with the demands of it. You have to keep moving the Elf every morning so he's in a new position and sometimes parents forget. Sometimes they're just frustrated with what to do next. And a lot of them are regretting ever starting it to begin with. So for more on that, we spoke to my producer, Miranda. She started off by telling us what the tradition is all about. Elf on the Shelf, like you said, it comes with an accompanying book that explains the story to your children. And I guess you're supposed to start this around age three because I have a two-year-old and there's no way she'd comprehend any of this. So around age three, I'd say you can kind of explain the story of the elf and you name it. Usually it's something that's kind of a punny name or a funny name. The premise is starting around Thanksgiving, whenever your family starts their Christmas stuff, every night you put the elf out and kids are not allowed to touch it. If you touch the elf, it dies. That's basically the story. <laughs> and every night the elf goes back to the North Pole to report on your behavior to Santa. So he knows because Santa's really busy. Right. So if you're being bad and you're throwing your toys, the elf's going to tell him. And then the idea is that in the morning when the kids wake up, they see the elf in a different location from where he was when they went to bed. That's the magic of it. He left, reported to Santa, came back and he's still watching you. Right. And the whole thing is, hey, kids, be nice. Don't misbehave kind of thing because the elf is watching you. So the funny part about this now, the Wall Street Journal wrote this story up. It's called The Tyranny of the Elf on the Shelf, yeah. Where to Put Him Tonight. And they talked to various parents that are just so frustrated and wish they had never done this because it's a lot of work to do something different. It can and, be. And a lot of people do elaborate setups and things like that. So they start off with a story about a mom who woke up at three in the morning in a panic saying, oh my God, I didn't move him. I got to move it. And she's like, I got a dog. My kid is a light sleeper. They're going to notice if I get up. <laughs> and it's this whole thing that she just freaks out because she didn't get to move it. I want to blame it on social media, Oscar. I think that there's a lot of pressure that parents put themselves on to compete or be just as good as their neighbor is. I'm seeing some photos of these elves and they're very elaborate setups. One elf is a DJ with like Star Wars <laughs> characters and Spider-Man and they're all having a rave underneath the Christmas tree. And then there's the dad who got in a big fight with his wife. They had a blowout because the wife told him to go move the elf. They had a brand new baby and the dad moved it from one end of the bookcase to the other. Right. Social media does play a big part. There was one parent they spoke to said she does really creative setups and it's part of her creative outlet. She likes to do it, but she's raised the bar so much because she Instagrams them and then everybody's expecting something bigger and bigger. So you got to do it that way. That mom's elf married Barbie and now they're about to have a baby. <laughs> Yes, I'd call that elaborate. In this article, too, they also talk about the elf industrial complex, <laughs> how there's elf pets, elf toys, elf outfits. Here we go with the ad. And one parent said, we're not going to be buying any type of outfits. And she's like, two years later, 
we were buying that elf outfits. Oh my gosh. So it's a whole thing. Apparently the company's website has some tips and tricks for things that your elf can get into. Say you're not that creative. Like I'm not creative with this kind of thing at all. I have zero patience for any nonsense like this. The website says that here's a good tip for explaining why your elf didn't move. Among them is that the elf maybe had a great view and wanted to stay there and didn't want to lose its vantage point. Another one is maybe the elf heard someone grabbing a drink of water just before leaving to go see Santa and had to play dead so that he wouldn't get busted. You might all remember the story from last year where the mom accidentally burned the elf on the shelf in the oven. She was going to do something creative with it later. So she's like, oh, I got to move it now. And she tossed it in the oven. The next day, her kids were like, hey, we're hungry. And she just not thinking, turned the oven on and the mm-hmm. thing melted down. That's traumatizing. I was just talking about this whole thing with my wife. And I was like, when we have kids, are we going to teach them about Santa and things? And she's like, yes, of course. And I was like, cool, that's great. And I was like, what about this elf on a shelf thing? Because I'm hearing... It's a ton of work. And she's like, yeah, maybe not. You have a very young daughter. She'd be of age for this type of thing next year, I'm assuming. Right. So what do you think? I'm going to tell you, she does know about Santa. She loves Santa. She's very into him. She's not one Uh of those crying, scared at the mall kids of Santa. She's into him. But up until reading this article, I was into the elf (laughs) on the shelf and I thought that'd be really cute. And it's funny. Uh Uh-uh. I'm out of it. It's a lot of work. I'm over it. And it happens right after Thanksgiving all the way to Christmas. Too much, Oscar. I'm busy. That's a lot. So what other Christmas traditions do you have, Miranda? Are you guys a Christmas Eve family or a Christmas morning family? My husband has both of his parents are Southern California natives. So they have a gigantic family on both sides. So I'm a Christmas Eve, Christmas morning, Christmas night with his family. (laughs) And then somewhere we do my family. So it's a lot. I think that's typical of a lot of families when uh, you have to hit both sides of it all the time. So you mm-hmm. have to separate it. You do a lot of Christmas Eve, Christmas Eve or Christmas morning things. For the longest time when we grew up, when we were young, we used to do Christmas Eve. You get to open one gift of your choice. Yeah. And, you know, you kind of get a sense of what gifts you're getting sometimes. Once you get a little older, I'd always pick the biggest one or the best one. And I'd play with it right away until my parents told me it's time to go to bed and wake up early in the next morning. You already know what you had. So you go for it. And and then we'd open up the rest of it the next morning. But in more recent years, very much the same thing. Uh, you have to hit one part of the family early Christmas Eve, one part of the family late Christmas Eve, another part of the family Christmas morning. It's a lot of work sometimes. Yeah, we always do his dad's side of the family Christmas Eve. They always get Christmas Eve. But since we've had our daughter, we'll spend the night at his parents' house and wake up there Christmas morning, do that. And then Christmas dinner, usually there. But this year we have to go to the aunt and uncle's house. So it's just, it's going to be a 48 hour marathon. And then my parents, I think are coming over like on the 27th. We're going to do it really delayed. Anything uh, else like somebody dressing up as Santa or anything like that? My mother-in-law back in the eighties when the, they're adults now, when they were little kids, she made a beautiful Santa suit. And so ever since we had our daughter, this will be her third Christmas. Someone in the family, usually whoever's the tipsiest decides to put on the Santa suit and walk down the stairs and pass out presents. And it's very sweet. That's very fun. We never did anything like that for us. Then it was always the next morning. It was the tamales mm-hmm. and the menudo that my grandma would make. We'd all open the rest of the presents, sit around, play with everything, try on all the new clothes that you would get and eat a bunch. So did you ever that was always fun. with your brother pull that stunt of getting up before your parents do and maybe not shredding all your gifts, but kind of lifting the sides to see what they were. In yeah, I think we did a couple times, but it, it was never a, a regular thing. We would do Christmas Eve. So yeah. I already had something the next morning. I think my parents kind of knew that we were up to that because every single time 
I tried to get out there early and be sneaky. My dad was always sitting there with his cup of coffee, just waiting. Yeah. Just waiting. He <laughs> loves Christmas mornings. That's, That's awesome. his whole vibe. Well, happy holidays. Merry Christmas to you and to all the listeners. Thank you very much. Don't forget to join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on Twitter and Daily Dive Podcast on Facebook. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this is the Daily Dive Weekend Edition.